0: Certain locations in our lives uh, have special memories. Uh, I didn't think about my special places till I went off to college. Um, My college experience was excellent, by the way. It happened to be in Center City, Philadelphia. Uh, I was a small-town country boy, and I went to the big city. And God knew I needed that kind of an experience to kind of expand my world. But I realized then how much I missed the open spaces, the hills that I had climbed as a kid and the views, um, the creeks where I built dams, the forest where I built tree forts, the ponds where I fished and captured all kinds of bullfrogs. Um, I missed them a lot. They were special because they weren't a regular part of my life anymore. Do you know what? You have those places too. Uh, it's a street, it's a house. It's a neighborhood. It's a ball field. It's a stage. It's uh, special places, uh, vacation trips, or summer camps that changed our lives. And not always are our memories good from the past. But it can really be very good to go back to those places, whether you can go there literally, physically, or just in your mind, and take God with you there. To remember where you were and then to see where God has taken you since then. To, to see all that his hand has done for you. To remember the old and to kind of let it go if need be. And to look forward ahead to all that Jesus has for you and for your family, for your children. To know that his promises are true and to cling to them. The reason I talk about that is because the Mount of Olives, or the Olivet Mount, was a very special place in the memories of Jesus, a very special place in the disciples' lives. It was there that a ton of important truths were shared with them. It was a place where key events in their lives happened that I'm sure they never forgot. It impacted them, it impacted people around them, and it impacts us today even still. There was a lot going on when Jesus rode that donkey down into Jerusalem. There were shouts of Hosanna all over the place. It, it, Hosanna means save or God save us. And dis- Jesus' disciples and the crowds were so excited. Prophecy was being fulfilled. You can read in Zechariah in Psalm 118 about Jesus, the promised king, coming to the city riding on a donkey. So prophecy was being prof- fulfilled. The promised king was here. He deserved their praise. It was exciting, but Jesus was weeping. Have you thought about that contrast, excitement, exuberance, and weeping taking place all at the same time? So this morning I want to take just a few minutes to think about those contrasts, to see things through Jesus's eyes versus our vision and the way we see things. What was Jesus seeing that was making him weep? And what were the people seeing that were making them shout out, save us? What do we need to see today and change so we see things the way Jesus would want us to see them? A view from the mount, understanding God's salvation in Christ, a key thought today. Learning the importance of prayer, another key thought, a lesson we learned from the Mount of Olives And Christ's sure return and how it should change the way I live today, this week, and the rest of my life until Jesus comes back or he takes me home. Perspectives before the cross and the resurrection. Perspectives on Jerusalem. What were the disciples seeing? Well, we read, uh, David read in in Luke that the disciples were excited. In, In Luke chapter 21, just a few days later, we read... Uh, during Holy Week, that the disciples came out and they saw the, the temple in all of its glory. And, they, uh, and here's what they said to Jesus in chapter 21. Looking up, Jesus saw, uh, excuse me, some of the disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. The disciples were seeing, as Jesus was riding down on that donkey, a beautiful temple. They were amazed at its beauty. It was grander than Solomon's temple ever was. Herod, King Herod, had been spend, spent 40 years remodeling it and enlarging it and making it to be one of, considered one of the great wonders of the world. They saw, the disciples saw a city that was ready to receive Jesus as their Messiah, as the promised deliverer. The disciples saw a city that believed that this was Jesus' moment. They really thought Jesus was going to deliver them. You know, Passover was coming at the end of the week. And do you remember what happened at the first Passover? Well, God had delivered the Israelites from. Egypt's oppression and slavery, and I think they were expecting the God or Jesus to do that right now and deliver them from the Romans. The disciples were correct. Jesus was a deliverer, the promised one, the one sent to offer, offer everlasting life to everyone who received him, but they did not understand that their hearts were far from what God had, that the city was wayward and sinful. They were not correct about the time or nature of God's kingdom that Jesus was going to be bringing, and they did not understand that God's kingdom was much bigger than just Israel. That's what the disciples saw, a city ready to be delivered. What did Jesus see? Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem you who killed the prophets, you who reject all of God's messengers, your house is gonna be less, left desolate. Jesus saw a city filled with people who claimed to love God, but their hearts were far from him. Wade read a little earlier from Isaiah chapter 53. In Isaiah chapter one, here's what God saw in Jerusalem. And I think Jesus was seeing the same thing. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and, they brought, and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey his owner's manger, but Israel does not know, my people do not understand. Oh, sinful nation! A people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. A little bit later on in the chapter, verse 13, stop bringing your meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Your new moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your evil assemblies. My soul hates them. They've become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you've spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. But then God always offers us Offer salvation, come. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Jesus saw that. He saw the end of the temple. He saw a beautiful temple that had been being built for 40 years. It was going to be destroyed in another 40 years by the Romans in 70 AD. And it would be totally wiped out. And it's still wiped out. It's not there. It's been replaced by a new living temple, a new covenant, a new Covenant established by the blood of the perfect lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who's living in his people. What did Jesus see? He saw a fig tree full of leaves, but was fruitless. Israel looked like a religious people who loved God, but they were fruitless. He saw a temple that was to be a house of prayer, but it was full of thieves and liars and cheats. No wonder Jesus is weeping. Jesus sees through all the empty ceremony, the ritual obedience. Israel Israel was desperate for this deliverer, for this king. The king was there, but they were blind to the truth. They had the wrong view. How about you? Jesus still weeps for Jerusalem. Jesus was weeping for Havertown. Jesus is weeping for the town and city where you live. For every crossroad, for every place where the people have been made in his image who do not see or understand who he is. He is weeping for them. And why does he weep? Because his message of salvation has been rejected. Your house will be left to you desolate. I looked up that word in a dictionary just to make sure I know what desolate means, but just a fuller picture, it means barren. It means laid waste. It means destitute of inhabitants, isolated, lonely, forsaken. And without God's mercy that opens up our minds and hearts to believe that Jesus is the Savior, our souls are destined for that kind of desolate, existence in all eternity. Desolate? Picture the world after Noah's flood. Desolate? Think about Sodom after God's fiery judgment. Desolate? Think of Jerusalem after King Nebuchadnezzar swept through and left nothing standing in the city, temple or walls or gates. Desolate? Think of the descriptions of the world just before Jesus comes back, described in Revelation what the world's going to be like, desolate. Does Jesus really care about humanity? He weeps for it. He died for it. He lives for it. And he has the power to save everyone from eternal desolations for your sins. And this morning I just asked, do you believe that? Are you convinced that it's true for you and for your neighbors and for your friends? And I would ask you to pray. Weep over humanity, over our Jerusalems like our Savior does. Die to ourselves like Jesus did for us once in a while. Die to ourselves so that others can hear the message and live. I want you to know the Lord does see how you strive to be light where you are. In your workplace, in your school hallways, with your co-workers or as a student. He knows you're trying to be honest or kind when they're not so honest and kind to you. He sees that. But let's help one another be better witnesses, to be better uh, takers of God's truth and and his word to our schools, to our workplaces, to our neighborhoods, because we need one another to come alongside and help us along the way. You know, it's only God. Only Jesus Christ can change a heart. But God chooses to do that through you, through you, and to me, through me. That's the way he works. Oh, Jerusalem. Jesus weeps for it and we should be weeping for it, but don't give up. Just remember that same Jerusalem that he was weeping over, there was a day of Pentecost. So God's not done save people. In 2021, we've just begun the year. Think about what God can do through his people who look to him and see what he wants us to do. So that's the first view from the Mount of Olives. What did Jesus see? He saw a city that wasn't ready to receive him. The disciples didn't have the right view, but their view became clear as time went on. But there's a second lesson that we learned from the mountain. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Luke chapter 22. This also took place on the Mount of Olives. It's the Garden of Gethsemane. It was on the hillside of the mountain. And we know that Jesus prayed there. Let's read verses 22. Excuse me, verses 39 through 46. Jesus is praying in the garden. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. So we see a contrast between Jesus' praying and anguish and how the disciples handled their anguish. (laughs) Weeks before, Jesus had set his face resolutely to go toward Jerusalem. He knew what was coming. He knew he was headed for the cross. And he knew the anguish that he would be facing there. And here he is now in the garden, Jesus, God the Son, God Almighty, Lord and Savior, walking in the very center of God the Father's will, but he's struggling. He's wrestling with the pain and suffering that just is ahead. You see, Jesus' death is unique because he carried the weight of the world's sins on himself. And because his death is unique, his suffering is unique, heavier than you and I could ever understand or will ever face. But yet we see Jesus surrendering his will to his father's will, his desires to his father's desires. This deep burden, taking on sin in our place, is so heavy. But yet he prays. He prays for strength to accomplish it. And we know that he succeeded. This is a very familiar scene. You're you're, you're familiar with this scene. Most of you today are familiar with Jesus' hard-working prayer in the garden. And we just should be silent for a moment and be in awe that this God of ours is there for us, following through for us. And mostly we should see the heart of God and be awed by it and humbled by it. His love runs so deep for everyone who despises Him, and it even runs deeper for you who've put your faith in Him. It's endless. I'm amazed as I've read through the passion of God, uh, Jesus, these, uh, through the Gospels these last several weeks. I've just been amazed at his heart for you and for me. Here he is in anguish, but mostly his concern is for his disciples, for his followers. Think about it. Read John's account, John chapter 13, 14, and 15, through, through his Gospel. In the upper room, he's washing their feet. They're arguing about who's the greatest, and Jesus, the greatest of all, is washing their feet. He's praying for them. He prayed for you and me uh, that night. It's amazing how his focus is on us, his comforting instructions to his disciples. He's in anguish, and yet he's thinking about others. The Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, your Savior, your Lord, your high priest, your advocate, your friend, he is never ever out of touch with your anguish and deepest sorrow. Hmm. Compare that to the disciples. Their prayerless failure. Earlier that night, Days before, they had said, Lord, I'll die for you. I'll never betray you. Their boasts were built on true love and devotion. (laughs) But they didn't understand the intensity of the spiritual battle they were facing. So they slept and didn't pray. But Jesus prayed for them people of God. He's praying for you right now. He's in heaven. He's our advocate. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Without Jesus, I have no hope to stand in God's presence and live because God's too holy and I'm too sinful, but Jesus stands next to me as an advocate and says, if you have put your faith in him, he will stand next to you and say, Father, he's righteous, she's righteous because they've trusted in me. Every generation sleeps when we should be praying. But we can pray better. And more often, and more like Jesus would for others, even in their anguish. Jesus was weary. Jesus was dreading what was ahead, and he prayed, and he rose in strength and faced it. You know what I love about that story about the, the disciples' failure? It encourages me because they learned their lesson. Erwin Lutzer wrote a book called Failure, The Back Door to Success. And this failure was the back door to their success because when they would face trials again, I believe they learned a lesson and they learned to pray. Some of the best lessons I've ever learned was when I made that big mistake. I never forgot it. Not going to do that one again. Well, once in a while we do, don't we? But we know better. Not knowing what the day holds ahead, we must pray. Our best intentions for God are overpowered by our fears and the world's temptations when we do not pray. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, said this. I'll say it twice because it took me that long to get it. Maybe you're quicker than me. You can do more than pray after you have prayed. But you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. You cannot do more than pray af- you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Prayers surrender to the will of God and cooperation with God's will. When I cast my hook out of the boat and it catches the shore, I don't pull the shore to me. The shore pulls me to it. And God is that shore. Prayer's not pulling God's will to my will, but aligning my will with God's. And the only way for me to see through Jesus' eyes, the only way for you and me to begin to weep for the city when it's time to weep, to praise God and say Hosanna when it's time to praise God and say Hosanna at the right time, The only way we can say, not my will, but your will be done, Father in heaven, is when we learn to pray, when we learn to see this world through our Savior's eyes, when we spend time with him and are filled with his humility and his servant attitude, then we will see the difference. That was before the cross. A couple perspectives from the Mount of Olives before the cross. The disciples were mistaken about God's kingdom and when it was coming and its nature. They didn't understand the need for prayer, but they learned the lessons. But after the cross, they had a whole different view. I go to Acts chapter 1. We've been studying in the book of Acts, so we just looked at these verses a few weeks ago, really. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Jesus is resurrected now. They're on the Mount of Olives, by the way. They're on the Mount that special place, that important place where they learned so many lessons, where they spent so much time with Jesus. So they went there and met together and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go up into heaven. On the Mount of Olives, the disciples saw Jesus go back to heaven where he came from. (laughs) And Jesus gave them a commission and we know what it was. It's a personal commission. I'm not excused from it. I'm called to go and make disciples, to teach them, to observe all that the Lord's commanded him. That's a personal call that God has in my life because he saved me. If I've committed myself to following him, then you have to be or should be or better be making disciples, striving to make that happen. But it's also a corporate call. We do this together because we need one another to help one another with our different gifts and abilities and talents and and the things that God shows us to help one another do that job better, to do the task that Jesus has given to us. It's a geographical place. He gave us borders where we're supposed to do this work. Do you know what the borders are? Well, there's really no fence. It's everywhere. It's everywhere you are. That's where we are to be busy thinking about making disciples. We are to be going. We are to be baptizing. That means making people identify and be connected to Christ through faith and teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. That's our job, to help one another do that. Kids, they're all downstairs this morning. I'm glad they're down there. Teens, students, young professionals. Have you believed? We're handing off to you a pretty... Pretty lousy world, it seems. But Jesus has called you to this time and place. Just like he called his disciples in the first century to that time and place. And he empowered them. And you have that same power and that same grace and and all to enable you to be witnesses in this world to spread the hope of the gospel. Parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts. Do you worry just a little bit about your beloved family and the world they're growing up in? But like those disciples, we need to turn our failures to trust and our prayer over to our mighty God. We need to take serious this commission that this risen Savior, this one who died for us, gave to us and empowered us to do. We need to take time to study the word together and to share our failures and our weaknesses and our struggles and to talk about our victories. And we need to learn to pray harder together because we know we can't do anything without prayer and to ask the Lord to improve our our eyesight because we see things so cloudy sometimes like the disciples did. So we know when to pray, so we know when to weep, so we know when to declare his truth boldly and when we know how to be quiet and just to be kind. Because we falter and we fail and we're ready to give up and we're tempted to let go, but thankfully Jesus never ever lets go of you and me. God the Spirit, help me to see people through Jesus' eyes. God the Spirit, we need your strength so we learn how to pray. God the Spirit, we need you to instruct us everything that you've written down about Jesus so we we know what we are to do and how to do it. Give us your help. On the Mount of Olives, Jesus rose up to heaven and it says in the book of Zechariah that Jesus is going to come back and touch that same mountain and it's gonna shake and there's gonna be an earthquake and the world is gonna be changed forever. His return is physical, it's certain, it's for real. When do you invite people to your home? Mostly when you want them to come there, right? Several years ago, we have four children. And one of them wrote a note to their grandfather. Here's what they wrote. Dear Grandpa, come. That was it. So clear and simple. We want you here. We're looking forward to having you here. We're anxious to see you. Dear Jesus, come because you're the king, because you're the resurrected Christ, because you've given us life. And Lord, we need to be busy sharing that life and your goodness with other people because they just don't see it. Without faith, they're going to be desolate forever. During Passion Week, Jesus did a lot of teaching in his last days in Jerusalem. And he told that parable of the ten virgins. Five of them had, they all had lamps, but five had oil that they needed for the lamps. They were waiting for the bridegroom. And a dear brother wrote this about that parable. And five were ready and five weren't. When Jesus lived on earth, he promised that he would come again to, found, to establish the kingdom of God a kingdom of peace, and a kingdom of love. And in the parable of the ten virgins, five of them were ready, but five had no oil, no burning love to God and for men. And even though the five foolish ones had the outer form of the lamp, their inner fire was gone. And Jesus said he didn't know them and that they could not take part in his kingdom. This parable speaks to our time because it's almost 2000 years since Jesus lived on earth and we have gotten used to waiting. The world goes on as before, but there will be there will come a time when we wish we had oil. Do you have the oil of faith and belief? The strength of the spirit in your life? Do you ever wonder if the disciples wandered back to the Mount of Olives? climbed that hill, went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and remembered all they heard and saw, the mistakes they made, their failures, their sins. It was a special place. If they didn't go there literally, physically, I bet you they went there in their minds and remembered all they had seen and done and seeing Jesus going up to heaven and letting that inspire them, knowing that their Lord was going to come back. He really is God and King. Be ready for Jesus' return. Help your Jerusalem to be ready. What is it you see today? Should we be weeping? Should we be praying? Should we be going and making disciples, telling what we know? Hosanna, save us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, We ask you to be merciful and to clear our vision, so we see you in all your glory and your power. Lord, I ask you that you would not give us any rest or peace until we believe and entrust ourselves wholly to you, that we're not empty lamps with no oil, that we're not a city that's just saying we love God, but our words are empty. Oh, change us, save us, forgive us, teach us to believe, Lord, help us to learn to pray. Help us to spread the gospel. Help us to be wise. Help us to see through your eyes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.